Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're joined by our returning guest, Scott Miller. Scott, welcome back to Affable Chat. Always great to be here. And we've brought him here today because we're talking about Skyfall. Ran out of drink where you were, did they? What was it you said? Take the bloody shot. I made a judgment call. You should have trusted me to finish the job. It was the possibility of losing you or the certainty of losing all those other agents. I made the only decision I could, and you know it. I think you lost your nerve. What do you expect? A bloody apology? You know the rules of the game. You've been playing it long enough. We both have. Maybe too long. Speak for yourself. This is an international spy action thriller. Directed by Sam Mendes. The cast includes Benoit Blanc, M. Anton Chigurh, M. Gustave, Paula from Moonlight, and Ed Bloom, Sr. I watched this movie on Hulu. Joey, how did you watch it? Hulu. Scott, what about you? I watched it on um, Hulu. Hulu. Ah, yeah. Shout out to Hulu. (laughs) That was the one that was on where you didn't have to pay extra. It was on Amazon, but you had to pay for it. That's the only other place I checked. So if you want to watch Skyfall, check it out on Hulu with your included in your subscription. Uh, Before we begin our conversation about this movie, we will recap the events in a synopsis that Joey wrote and Scott edited. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go ahead and get that started with Joey. Secret agents James Bond and Eve Moneypenny are in pursuit. A bad guy has stolen a hard drive with top secret information on it, and he must be apprehended. Bond and Moneypenny chase him through the streets and rooftops of Istanbul, but he remains one step ahead. The bad guy jumps onto a train, and Bond follows. Bond gets shot in the shoulder, but he keeps going. They wrestle, punch, and kick on the roof of the train, but neither gains an advantage. Moneypenny has found a vantage point with her rifle, but it's not a clear shot. She might hit Bond. Back at MI6, M gives the order, shoot, even if it means hitting Bond. Bam! Moneypenny pulls the trigger, and Bond drops like a rock. The bad guy gets away. Months pass, and neither the hard drive nor Bond has ever resurfaced. The loss of the hard drive is a major problem for the British government, and they want to hold M responsible. However, the information is so classified, they can't just fire her. So they decide to force her eventual retirement. Her replacement is a man named Mallory. For now, M is still in charge, but not for long. On the way back from her meeting with Mallory, M gets a mysterious message on her computer that tells her she will pay for her sins. She is stopped on a bridge by some policemen. From there, she has a clear view of MI6 headquarters, which promptly explodes. The explosion killed six agents and was clearly a message to M. Shaken, she returns home only to find a mysterious man lurking in the shadows. It's James Bond, back from the dead. Bet you didn't expect that. M tells Bond he's needed, but he is required to be cleared for duty first. Bond gets debriefed as his mental and physical fitness is evaluated. M clears him and sends him to Shanghai to track down the bad guy who stole the hard drive. Bond finds the man in the abandoned floor of a building preparing for an assassination. Bond lets the man kill his target, then jumps him. They have an awesome cinematic fight, which ends with Bond dropping the man to his death. Our hero goes through the dead man's things and finds a coin for a casino in Macau. So this is where he heads next. 
Bond cashes in the coin, which gets him a briefcase of bills, and a meeting with Severine, who works with the mastermind behind this whole plot. Bond charms Severine, and she tells him where to find her if he can make it out of the casino alive. Bond fights three burly bodyguards and two Komodo dragons, but survives and makes it to Severine's boat. Bond and Severine have steamy shower sex and head to the private island of this movie's mastermind. Bond activates his distress signal. Once on land, a restrained Bond meets our villain face to face. His name is Silva, and he used to be an MI6 agent just like Bond. But after M left him to die in a horrible prison, he decided to strike out on his own. Now he performs complicated international crimes for the highest bidder. He tells Bond a story about rats and tries to convince James to join him. He also reveals that Bond was not cleared by MI6 to be in the field, but M sent him anyway. Silva takes Bond outside, where he has Severine tied up. He forces Bond into a classic game of shoot the glass off the woman's head. Severine is killed moments before MI6 arrives in response to Bond's distress call. Back at MI6, the nerds plug Silva's computer into their system, which is a big mistake. The computer was a honeypot, and it grabs hold and allows Silva to escape. M is currently at a deposition in front of the Prime Minister. Silva charges in, guns ablazing. Luckily, Bond is there too and escapes with M. Together, they grab an old James Bond fan service vehicle and drive into the Scottish countryside. They go to Skyfall Ranch, the old property that Bond grew up on. There, the old game master, Kincaid, is still taking care of the place. M, Bond, and Kincaid prepare some traps for the inevitable war Silva will bring. Silva arrives with his goons and a helicopter. Using their improvised traps and some super powerful propane and dynamite, M, Bond, and Kincaid take down everyone except for Silva. They face off in the old chapel, and Bond kills Silva. Unfortunately, M was shot in the battle and dies of her wounds. Back at MI6, Mallory welcomes Bond back and hands him a new mission. The legacy lives on. There we have it. The events of Skyfall will begin our discussion with our pros and our cons. Scott, what did you like about Skyfall? I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, I think this one, maybe above any other Bond that's ever been made, captures sort of the complexities of who Bond is as a character. Um, there's a lot of problems with the Bond franchise and the way that the Bond franchise treats women, the way the Bond franchise sort of uh, gives this off this sort of toxic masculinity uh, element. But this movie doesn't shy away from the realities of who Bond is. But this movie, in conjunction with the other two Craig or the previous two Craig movies, does sort of give Bond life and a little bit of complexity, which I think is really compelling. Um, I also really love Javier Bardem's portrayal as Silva in this movie. He's incredible. Um, I haven't watched every movie in his portfolio, but between this and No Country for Old Men, I would always allow him to be the villain that just <laughs> disarms you without ever making an explicit threat. He is, he is the most terrifying actor maybe that I can think of. Um, and his relationship, I think, in this movie with M is so twisted, but you can kind of imagine things from his perspective because of how complicated the lives of these people are. The movie doesn't, like M even says explicitly that orphans always make the best recruits and you see just how broken that is when you watch how Silva behaves. Yes. Um, and the other one is I, I'm just really grateful to this movie that he does, that Daniel Craig does give the Bond franchise new life, I think. 
there were a lot of questions going into this movie, certainly in 20, I think it was 2012, yep. mm-hmm. um, that, that maybe there wasn't a place for Bond anymore. There's a question about whether or not spy movies should even exist, which is sort of an ironic meta commentary that happens in the movie yes. about whether or not these things should still exist. And I think Daniel Craig, by giving so much depth to the character, does give the character a chance to continue to exist. Um, the other one is, is that I really want to capture is just how important the relationship is between Bond and M. This is Judy Dench's final movie in the Bond franchise, at least as far as we know. And um, it's, it's wild to me because this movie actually does seem to split focus in a way I've never seen before. M gets entirely independent sequences, even after Bond is, is dead, quote unquote. Yeah. M gets her own special moments in this movie where she's doing her own thing. And I think they really are being intentional about making Judy Dench as M a main character of this movie and their relationship is so complicated and, and wonderful um and you you can see in the same way that silva has this broken relationship and twisted relationship with m so does bond in a way it's just not quite as toxically terrible and he bond hasn't gone off the deep end but you understand that all three of those characters are broken and their relationships are so complicated so i think they did a really really wonderful job with that Definitely. And not to get too deep into it yet, but like the same way that um, Silva and, and Bond are so similar. And the difference is just that the betrayal that happens or the quote unquote betrayal from M where he did get shot at the beginning of this movie in a situation that's not too different from having to trade his life for those other agents. So you see, you see there just a fraction of a, uh, a difference between these two relationships. I thought that was really compelling. Oh, yeah. So I think some of the coolest action um, in this, uh, there's some really awesome action in this movie, this side of Marvel and John Wick, I think is some of the greatest movie action I've seen. Um, it's got this really complicated and weighty feeling story. All the Daniel Craig Bond movies feel so important. Like they have this, like weight to their story where everything like it's not really exactly clear what's happening but there's like this great movement throughout the the plot um it's really it's, i think it's a really interesting take on bond um and it does way more than i think was ever necessary before but in the, in the same way that you were just saying kind of modernizes bond um which i think is awesome uh, really interesting themes at work, uh, and as this movie is a meta commentary on the spy thriller, is in general I think is awesome, um, and it's also really wacky at times. That I, I think that's awesome, um, and that Adele song is amazing. Uh, something you can listen to outside of this movie. They won an right Oscar now. for that song. It won an Oscar for that song. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. They won two Oscars. The movie won two Oscars, and both of them were audio, like sound. Wow. Ah. Stuff. Yeah. I thought that the opening sequence was amazing. Like it was such a great way to kick off this film. I'm not very. This is the only Bond movie I've ever seen, so I I really was looking to see what all the hype was about. And the opening sequence and the title sequence just blew me away. Uh, I thought that was really well done. This I thought the story was interesting without being too complicated or too simple. A lot of times these international plots have a uh, opportunity to get really contrived and yeah. and ridiculous and while I think it's not flawless, I think it's easy to follow this story and understand everybody's motivations and stick to it to a certain degree. Um I think Javier Bardem absolutely steals the show 
in the second half of the film. Uh, like like Scott said, I echo your praise of his performance. He can be the villain in every movie for, <laughs> for my money. He's fantastic. Uh, I do think that at times this movie is very visually stunning. Um, you know, I felt like it wasn't super consistent, but there were definitely times where it was truly awe-inspiring. Um, and same thing with the action sequences. Some of them are just, you know, guns and shooting, but other ones felt really... Um, out of the box and um, just really well designed. So um, all of that I thought was really good. Now let's move on to our cons. Scott, what do you not like about Skyfall? Well, I wanted to first sort of capture the fact that if this is the only Bond you've ever seen, uh, you will be disappointed across the board <laughs> for all the other Bond movies. There is a reason this movie gets so much praise and it's just how well they handle a real character. Bond is never a real character. That's sort of the problem with the ah. Bond franchise. Uh, he is always this like smooth, and especially in other Bond portrayals by other actors. So I think I, there are some movies I might recommend in the Bond in the Craig franchise, but certainly not the next couple, and maybe not the one right before this one. Maybe <laughs> anyway, all that yes. to say, um, I love that this. If this is what you think all Bonds are like. <laughs> You well, live in a keep, really beautiful I, world. Just and keep you watching not, this one over yeah, and over. Don't well, touch I'm, any others. I'm excited to hear a little bit more of your perspective because I have some conclusions I've drawn about Bond, and I'm wondering how that will sound to someone who knows Bond better. Um, but before we get to that, let's let's talk our cons. What did you not like about Skyfall? Um, I've now seen this movie quite a few times, and um, I think that it it sort of stumbles in the beginning it's really long-winded there's a bunch of stuff uh there's that assassination sequence there's the whole macau casino sequence like mm -hmm. i get the sense that those are supposed to be important and you could tell where the story was trying to go but it was kind of like they they didn't know what story they were trying to tell and they eventually figured it out later um because to me the most important story in this movie is the this idea of old versus you know old versus new that i the quote the ignominious uh, battleship being hauled off for scrap right, right. Yes. at the museum this idea yeah. of like who is bond now bond is coming back trying to play a young man's game and but then they spend a bunch of time with bond just being bond almost like they were trying to hit a hit a, a you know a time stamp and so i think mm. the movie's really good but there are plenty of moments where i think they kind of waste time um i completely agree i think it's too long i think the ending ends up just being really bloated like i don't i feel like they totally lose the thread and whatever they're trying to do with the ending because it's like oh now we're out in the middle of nowhere in this action set piece in order to everyone's going to shoot their guns and then eventually you know people who are going to die die so it's like i don't know it feels like there's all this weight behind it especially after they introduce silva and kind of get to the main conceit of this movie um all of that's really interesting and then it's just sort of kind of fizzles for me it's like okay where does it supposed to go here certainly the ending is like epic in like the traditional terms but it doesn't feel like it pays off whatever themes and motifs it was trying to build to um the same way it tries to pay off in its action side um which i think is disappointing um it's really hard to tell what i'm supposed to recognize and what is new um there are some things that are really clever right where he doesn't even say shaken but stirred right he just says perfect after she shakes the martini yes thing. yes um or like, i don't think he even introduces himself does he say bond james he does bond? say bond james bond i think he says when he means severine yeah but like like and then of course the car and everything all that's pretty subtle but there's other stuff like uh eve money penny 
which like goes over my head. But the way that it's framed is very obvious. This is supposed to be a character I recognize. And it's a really disappointing thing for you to build up this whole thing like, oh, we're doing Bond, but better. And then just be like, hey, do you remember this guy? Remember her? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. It rolls, makes me roll my eyes. I think the Money Penny introduction uh, definitely swings and misses on, on this idea it's of like, like a callback because the implication of that moment is that they spent many, many days together mm-hmm. working together <laughs> to pursue somebody yeah planning for missions and stuff and they just never introduced themselves it's, yeah. like, it's like last Anderbender, like like you know when yeah. they say halfway through the movie hey what's your name again and he has to introduce himself as ong yes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh no it's uh it's ridiculous and it's well especially because and like not to throw any shade on people whose actual last name is money penny but like when you hear that name you're like Oof, okay that's got to be like an old james bond name there's like there's no way they would create a new character called money penny apparently uh in the first iteration of this character when ian fleming was writing the novels he named her miss petty and then he changed it to be less obvious <laughs> <laughs> well a, there is a um in across multiple bonds like we talked about with with sean connery and pierce brosnan and then there's a couple that i never remember but across those there have they have gotten better at naming people things that are real name <laughs> um there were there dr. was a no dr no there was a a bond girl who became a villain whose name was uh octopussy <laughs> yes i don't know if i can say that on this podcast you absolutely that, can't it was a, a name e it's that's explicit. <laughs> Capital O. That's uh, a real. That's know, her that name. was her name. That was her unbelievable. Name. So that's a proper unbelievable. noun. Unbelievable. Um, well, I want to um, like echo Joey's con. One of Joey's cons, which is like kind of losing the thread uh, towards the end. Some of the bigger themes because Bond is shown to have clearly lost a step due to being older and also injured after being shot. And while there are moments where he isn't the Superman that we know he can be, where he's having trouble swimming, uh, he can't hold on to the sniper as he's dangling off the building, like he clearly wants to hold him there, but he loses his grip. Those are like physical limitations that he has to encounter, but there wasn't some sort of payoff where he overcomes the limitations of having lost a step. He just eventually goes back to being James Bond without having to um, face to come to face to face with the reality that he is older. Like, even though we see him, he has trouble swimming. Like he gets done swimming at the hotel and he's like out of breath. But then later he's able to choke a dude out underwater and pull the pin on his flare and swim back up and then go kill a guy right after getting out of freezing cold water. It's like, you seem to be in tip top shape, James Bond, you know? And I don't remember (laughs) you having to like figure that one out. So I, yeah, I kind of am with you on that, Joey. Uh, The, shower sex with the former sex slave scene was didn't make me feel great and i think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later so i'll just i'll leave it at that that was a uh something that felt bad to me and um i i know we're going to get into that um and then bond helping q hack the computer (laughs) was a laugh out loud moment for me to see like this guy who's supposedly one of the greatest computer minds in the world and james bond is like 
what about that? Let me point at the screen. And he's like, oh, you've done it, Bond. You've unlocked it. Especially after Q says, there's only a couple people in the world who could have programmed that. And Bond's like, do you know what it is? And he's like, I invented it. And yeah. then Bond's like, but what about if I look at Right. Ooh, I recognize that place. Nonsense. I, yeah, all those, all those um, Crossford puzzles I've been doing my old age have paid off. Cranborough Road. Yeah, it is. It is the impl- I guess the joke there is that he's an older man. And so he remembers this old tube station. But it, the, when you're looking at it on the screen and it's like oh there's a there's a circumstance when you're trying to hack this computer where it might accidentally line, line up. up all the letters <laughs> or the code like oh man that's a bummer <laughs> well and i'm not even i'm not even gonna hold it against this movie any of the technology stuff like there i'm fine with movies using hacking as like basically computer magic where like yeah. if you're good enough at hacking you can do anything with technology I think that works fine as a way to get your movie rolling. I, I don't, I'm not going to hold it against that. But that particular moment had me, like my sides were hurting after that scene. So those are our pros and our cons. Let's move forward into our overall section. And we've got some questions for our guest. Joey, take it away. Okay. So you said you wanted to do a Bond movie on the podcast. Why did you pick this Bond movie over all the other ones? There's so many of them. There's even a new one that came out this or last year. I haven't actually seen the new one, so I'm, I'm guilty of either. not having seen all of the Daniel Craig ones. Um, but I think to narrow from the full scope of all available Bond movies, I picked a Daniel Craig Bond movie because I find him to be the most approachable Bond. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't. He carries a lot of baggage, but I think they do a good job with it. He certainly doesn't have the same sort of like griminess that you have to be willing to accept if you watch some of the other James Bonds. Mm-hmm. So that's not a comment about the actors who played those. It's just what happened. You know, Pierce Brosnan was not, uh, he was a great Bond. And he certainly was my Bond in the sense that I grew up and those are the movies I had seen. But uh, when you watch those again, there's a lot of people being objectified in a lot of inappropriate ways. I think, <laughs> I think so, so to narrow it, I picked Daniel Craig for that reason. And I picked Skyfall because I think as much as I love Casino Royale, um, and then Quantum of Solace is the second one in the series, and it's got its ups and downs, and it's an I thought impossible... you were just going to say, yeah, the first one, Casino Royale is awesome, <laughs> then there's the second one, Quantum then, of Solace. But anyway... That exists. <laughs> um, I, I, it's, it's taken me a long time as a Bond fan to be able to appreciate Quantum of Solace at all, because it's such an... <laughs> un, like, it's this impossible-to-interpret movie that no one has any idea what's going on. Um, but then this one, I think, is... As a standalone movie, if, even if it wasn't Bond, I think you'd be able to appreciate the character of, because like you said, there's a lot of references to stuff, but they don't hit you over the head with the idea that this is part of a bigger franchise. No. And the concept of James Bond is sort of set up in the beginning of this movie in a way that you would understand that this guy has gone through some stuff and he's got some baggage, he's a spy, he's an older man, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get his mojo back to some extent. Like, I think it stands alone, even though it compliments itself there's a ton that i take from the first two movies in the daniel craig series and i can carry a lot of that into this movie and it gives me a sense of how complex the character is but it is not made worse if you haven't seen those so that was one of the reasons i mean i really thought the movie stands out in that way yeah um across an entire franchise that's worth billions of dollars and also has like 35 movies or something crazy at this yes point. yeah i as a one time only bond viewer i felt like this movie did work as a standalone partially because james bond is such a transcendent character even if you haven't seen bond there's a lot that you probably know about bond and um a lot of that stuff 
is easy to pick up in the intro, like the beginning of this movie. You have M, you have Bond, you have like the fact that he's British. Like there's all these things that are like obvious and get you on board and up to speed where, you know, a movie, like if you watch, I don't know, it hasn't come out yet, but if you watch the second Dune movie and you don't know who Paul Atreides is, you might have trouble enjoying it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I felt like this movie does work as a standalone, but more generally Bond movies, are they supposed to be standalone? Do they tell a like overarching story? Um, what what kind of goes on with that with Bond? My experience watching the other Bonds, the other actors that played them, is that they are mostly standalone. Um, there isn't quite the same central thread. Like in the Daniel Craig movies, people talk about the fact that the entirety of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, to some extent, are an origin story of why Bond is the way he is. Mm-hmm. There's parts in Casino Royale where Bond becomes the misogynist that he's he's meant to be which adds complexity to the character because he wasn't that way and then he felt some sort of very significant betrayal that was so significant that he essentially like shut off from the rest of the world right that's really powerful and and you watch the second movie you watch quantum solace and then you watch this one and you see the baggage he's carrying through the movies but the other versions that i've seen and and there may be somebody who disagrees on the pierce brosnan movies for instance but for the most part he is polished in a way that he doesn't have the same imperfections. I mean, James Bond is a super spy that is the definitive super spy across all of media, right? And James Bond in those previous installments was smooth and suave and had his stuff under wraps. Like, for instance, in Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, he literally, he's being offered a martini and they ask if he'd like it shaken or stirred. And he says, do I look like I give a damn? Because he's in a bad mood. But also, he it just isn't... Like, he is not a polished Bond. The other Bonds are polished Bonds. So those ones do stand alone, to answer the question more mm. specifically. But this one, they don't. They, they, this one does. But it's kind of soft, isn't it? Like, it's not really... You don't have to watch the other ones to really understand where it is. Like, the character develops, but it's not like there's a central thread that goes from to thing there's not even like characters that move from movie to movie really for daniel craig yeah the second quantum of solace is is a response to the tragedy at the end of casino royale right. and i don't i guess right. i don't want to spoil it, these movies doesn't it pick anybody, up right where the last one left off yeah right. and and bond is is on a revenge uh journey he's on a revenge rampage. journey revenge rampage <laughs> because of what has happened so i don't you know i don't want to spoil sure, the movie because sure. i think it's worth watching and so maybe you don't want to get too into the details but bonds in the first one bond is very much a kid he's right he is and he in the in casino royale seems to believe himself to be the bond that we're supposed to think james bond is he thinks he's perfect and untouchable and he just walks around and he he shows up at a hotel and says his own name even when he's got a an alias he's supposed to be checking in under because he's like screw it i don't care people can know who i am by the time he gets to skyfall he's he's a little bit more timid it's not just that he's older he's a different guy so i think there is you don't need to have seen any of the well it doesn't matter what movie you've seen if you watch quantum of solace you still don't understand what's going on it's, it's terrible <laughs> it's it's completely unintelligible but the intention is else. that it moves from one to the other and like the character develops. But I it's not so. I don't even think it's really that explicit. I mean, I think if you're watching it carefully, mm-hmm. you can get you can pick that up on that. But 
It's not like they spend a lot of time saying, okay, well, this is how it is for this Bond or anything. Right. That's something I like about these movies, too, is they feel very careful mm-hmm. for the most part. There are like, there's lots of small moments that are, where our character gets to shine, and Daniel Craig's like subtle acting really comes forward. So, okay, just give us a quick overview. How, many, what, how much of the other Bond movies have you, have you watched? Um, I watched through almost all of Pierce Brosnan, and I've watched through most of Sean Connery. Okay. What's tricky is that I, I haven't like sat down and looked at a full list Yes. to say, okay, which ones have I missed? In part because I don't have a linear story I'm chasing at that point. Right. So every Pierce Brosnan movie I've encountered came up and I'd watch it, right? I had a friend of mine in high school and, and we would watch them whenever we could and that's you know we had dvds so i literally have a dvd case for the majority of the dvds i own are all these old bond movies um so i have a fair amount of experience with the franchise but if someone was to ask me like a tri- i would do bad at bond trivia for instance <laughs> but i but i like the franchise and i've watched a lot of them yeah so having that kind of experience with bond I'm sure you're familiar with some of the typical Bond stuff. I don't want to say tropes because I don't. I feel like that's a negative connotation. But as again, as a person who's mainly experienced Bond through uh, just the ubiquitous culture surrounding it and this one movie, <laughs> I wanted to get your opinion on some of the things that I have perceived that are classic Bond stuff, and then also give you opportunity to maybe add some ones on top of that, or tell me if they're not. So first thing is having a pistol. Like, Bond is a guy who likes to use a pistol as opposed to, like, rocket launcher, heavy machine gun. I've Like, he always turns the corner and it's like, you know, and he, like, shoots it. Um, so I feel like that's the one. Drinking Vesper martinis. Like, that specifically, I know that's a Bond thing. Like, that's his drink. Um, I'm in a... Maybe like the best, uh, best brand uh, marketing ever. Yes, really? no, totally. Like we, I'm in a uh, cocktail club, and one of our meetings, they that was the drink, and it's literally like referred to as like the James Bond martini. Like that's how <laughs> how much he's taken over this drink. But not just the Vesper martini, just drinking in general. Like Bond is known for like he's kind of an alcoholic, alcohol problem. Yes, yes. and um, and it's interesting that this movie takes it more like Javier Bardem gets an opportunity to literally call him out and be like yeah when they evaluated you they said you have a substance abuse problem like you are borderline alcoholic and it's interesting to see the movie point itself out like that and going over this like meta commentary on the Bond franchise in general it's interesting to see them point that out and I'm assuming they they don't really point that out in other movies I mean no it, this is the only movie I've ever watched in the Bond franchise where they literally look themselves in the mirror and that's where you know there's some other things to talk about in that in that vein but they are unapologetically like rough on mm-hmm. the franchise they're commenting on the fact that Bond this Bond Daniel Craig's Bond is old but so is the bond the bond yes. that is in everyone's minds mm-hmm. so them making fun of him for being an, them making it like they're not hiding the fact that he's an alcoholic he pops up in m's apartment and she says did they run out of drink where you were like it's clear he's got a problem and then the movie says it out loud javier bardem's character says you have a substance abuse problem that was the reason you should have never been allowed to do this again to come back <laughs> right that's the 
I mean, it's 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 really powerful that they do that, and I think it's pretty bold. Oh yeah, yeah. And stuff. No, I I loved it. That it felt. I was really surprised that they even went that far because again, then you have like the opposite of that, which is also in this movie, is that Bond is fun at parties. Like he goes, <laughs> he wakes up on the beach, like walks down by himself into this bar, then suddenly he's the most popular guy there, drinking a shot with a scorpion on his hand. I mean, is that another thing? Is he's like kind of a playboy, like as far as like parties go, like um he the character of bond is like catnip to everyone who's ever met him. okay and they don't shy away <laughs> from that in this movie at least a little bit but there is something to be said for like bond has got he's the guy that you know who's he's not annoying at parties he's like he's the guy who walks in the room and everyone sees him yeah right which right. i think in previous installments has always been kind of funny because he's a secret agent who's supposed to be Right, like, but he uses his real name. Everyone knows who he is. Yeah, he <laughs> he walks into a room with like all the villains in the world, and he is supposed to be laying low. And like because yeah. of how he behaves, he is always the center of all of the attention. <laughs> right, and they're always very casual and cordial to him. We're like, oh, Bond is here. He's like, yes, and I'm dressed in a fancy suit, so you have yeah. to respect me this time. It doesn't have the sort of Game of Thrones energy where someone who always kills the bad guy walks into a party the fourth time with a bad guy and that guy like in game of thrones that guy would kill bond immediately because bond is a problem but in all these movies in the previous parts of the franchise they're like oh this time you won't get me but i will share a drink with you in front of everyone and we'll talk and then i'll bring you into my office and then bond does whatever he does you know um yeah if 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 you're modernizing the franchise, Bond would have died quite a few times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, the guys who were intending on killing James Bond go with hand-to-hand combat yes. at the casino <laughs> instead of shooting him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but okay, so uh, like, keep going down this list some more. Driving fast and also driving cool cars. I assume that's part of it. That the We call it the fan service vehicle, but just in general, like Bond and cool cars kind of go together. I feel like that's okay. probably a Bond thing. has been selling cars for decades but and and to some extent specifically aston martins is like the iconic car but that's because it's a british isn't that british made yeah Yeah. so that's why um and and the car that he drives when they're heading into scotland uh is an aston is an iconic aston martin from previous installments yes aston martin db5 yeah and and aston the funny thing i guess is that where the vodka and the martini is a brand you could go out and buy but no one's like watching a bond movie and then thinking oh i'm gonna go spend one hundred and sixty thousand dollars on a new aston martin like it's not the kind of thing that you buy casually maybe a rapper (laughs) i i see i saw like ads you know selling bond like daniel craig with like uh omega watches and like in front of audis like selling those cars in like magazines i see that all the time um so i i think it's sort of true maybe not for aston martins but for cars and stuff like i see daniel craig posing with cars selling cars i guess i mean to say that it is uh if your car company sells cars that are hyper luxury Mm -hmm. then someone's already ready to buy an aston martin (laughs) and maybe they watch the bond movie and they're okay but it's not the same as if it was like hondas from fast and furious yeah you're like yeah. oh i'm gonna go buy myself a honda i could right soup up myself I, yeah family comes first so that's why i'm buying a honda right. that's so. right <laughs> <laughs> so another bo- classic bond thing and i'm actually curious if this is like a total bond thing or if it's just daniel craig or, or whatever reporting to m um like is is m a character who is always is that always a position at mi6 with the bond series yes in the same way that q is too and okay. i think 
and this is something I would have wanted to look up ahead of time and maybe should have. I don't remember when Judy Dench took that role. I don't know if she was there from the beginning or if she was there for Pierce Brosnan only. And then I think Daniel she started Craig. with Pierce Brosnan. Because she's been with the franchise for a long time. Yeah. Yes. Um, sort of the J. Jonah Jameson. J.K. <laughs> Simmons. <laughs> wow. Of the Bond series. Yeah, she, I mean, she's that's definitely, I, I think, her most iconic role is being M. Yeah. And, and I guess now I have a subsequent question specifically about M. Are they calling her mom? No. Ma'am. Ma'am. Okay. Subtitles say ma'am. The, the, the subtitles do say ma'am, but my ears tell me mom. I could, <laughs> like, it sounded like they're, and, and of course that name would go really well with uh, Daniel Craig and Javier Bardem's Because Silva does explicitly there. call her mother. Yes, right? yes. Look upon your work's mother, which right. is the most haunting <laughs> line for someone whose face is like melting. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> I liked the social effects on that. I thought it looked really good. Uh, it was spooky. very gross and scary <laughs> yes um okay and then getting gadgets from q branch i assume that that's classic bond as well usually they're wackier or more interesting yeah um this one is like explicitly like very simple yeah um, i mean they make the recurring joke about the radio my latest yeah. yes. the newest thing from q branch radio <laughs> like that right. they are yeah they a lot of those things are being undermined in this movie and in that sense like Q, you'd expect Q to give him a coin that if he tosses it into the air, it'll cause a smoke screen. Sure. Instead, he gets a radio on the bottom of his shoe. Yes. And then he gets that gun, though, as well, the one that he loses immediately. Yeah. The the gun that its only (laughs) real thing was not firing. Right. Like, that's the only time it came into play. Yeah. Was when the guy couldn't kill him. Why didn't that guy bring his own gun? (laughs) I would have killed him with his own gun. I love poetry. Well, I think we actually have that quote from Q about the gadgets. A gun and a radio. Not exactly Christmas, is it? Were you expecting an exploding pen? We don't really go in for that anymore. So yeah, I, 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 I gathered, I think, that there's probably been some more preposterous gadgets. I mean, can you think of the most ridiculous gadget that... uh? Bond. The invisible car is way up there. No. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff with vehicles and things. Because John Cleese played um, uh, Q for a part of the that has Brosnan to be hilarious. Franchise. And he's yeah, he, he's kind of big John Cleese energy, obviously. <laughs> yes. And um, and I can't think of any specific examples, but the invisible car, like the exploding pen, is not a joke. That was a real thing. Wow. Jack your seat in the and the Austin Martin. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. They oh, did a little yeah, gag with that with about, M. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go on, eject me. Yeah. <laughs> See if I care. Yeah, that like the Aston Martin. Because the I, this car that he has, this Aston Martin, is actually a car that he one in a poker game in Casino Royale at right. the very beginning of the movie. But apparently he's then had some work done on it and then he keeps it in this garage. So when he opened with the ejector seat and the like machine, machine guns. guns coming out the front, all of that is from when this same exact car was used in a previous installment of the franchise. But it's just interesting to think that Daniel Craig got it dressed up and he installed those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because he did, and he's apparently it's just his personal car. Right. I just <laughs> want to have that. It's hilarious. Um, so, okay, another thing. We're almost at the end of my list here. Uh, going to different countries. James Bond is British, but he does his work all over the globe. That's kind of, I, I gathered that from, uh, a, a, I would say, a James Bond spoof, which is Austin Powers, um, where they, they call him the international man of mystery. <laughs> and that's kind of, you could say that unironically about Bond um, as well. 
and then also Bond music. So was this movie trying to be like, we're glorifying the past of Bond or like at least addressing the past of Bond. So we're going to use the exact music or does that music appear in literally every Bond? They, because this is, I think, the 50th anniversary movie that was mm-hmm. part of the trope of the movie, right? Yeah. And they use that, uh, the, yes. that is iconic, but that's in all Bond movies. It is, okay, okay. And there's things that they did with Daniel Craig's Bond, like in Casino, I keep going back to Casino Royale because it's the, <laughs> it's the first movie in the franchise, but they, for instance, didn't actually hit that beat, that musical tone. They didn't actually play that until the very end of the movie. That's right. Ah. Which was a big deal because it wasn't, he never had his moment where you're like, oh, yeah, this is because normally they'd play it right away because this is Bond. But for that one, they were like, he's not Bond yet. And Bond had to go through quite a oh. lot. And he has a moment at the very, very end. And then they do that and you go, oh, man, oh, it's, like, awesome. it's iconic. Right. <laughs> yes. So they've used it differently in these more recent installments. But it is they always use that that key that's in the same way that you know harry potter or lord of the rings yeah star use. wars yeah kind right. of thing okay elite motif right right say. yes no yeah i would <laughs> I, in fact i will it is elite motif um but and, well, speaking <laughs> off of that like yes. the title sequence and stuff that's not unique to this movie either they always have those really cinematic kind of uh, abstract uh, uh title sequences and they always have some sort of iconic song playing over it as well um it's awesome that they keep getting these great names big names to uh do these songs and stuff and how they become hits even outside of the movie um because in in specter which is the next one it's yeah. sam smith mm-hmm. this one obviously adele that's then the end billy of the list Al- i can't remember billy <laughs> eilish is the new one no time to die uh, okay okay um i don't know about the older ones but they do have like iconic long drawn out uh title sequences that sort of reference abstractly different parts of the movie um yeah they're very very visually stunning and then this movie of course references it i don't know if it's in every bond film but the kind of the like view down the tunnel where bond is at the end of it and he turns and shoots you the viewer yeah like that i'd seen that and i've never even seen bond before you know like that was just a very iconic shot um okay last typical bond thing and i think this will potentially open us up to a, a different conversation that's worth having is bond's relationship with women um, in that he kind Bond of shows up yeah. and has sex with them and then moves on. So I think I'm pretty sure that's classic Bond, but let's let's talk a little bit about that. It's definitely classic Bond and it's a problem. <laughs> yes. And everyone agrees it's a problem with the franchise. And I would argue that this movie No, all of the Daniel Craig movies try to fix that. Okay. Obviously, there's problems in this movie with his behavior, but I don't think it's done in the same way. In previous installments, he is a misogynist who will sleep with a woman and leave her in the morning. And it's like idealized as this iconic thing, like a masculine strength. He conquers mountains and he conquers villains and he conquers women. Like that is the energy of the previous installments. Daniel Craig's Bond. There's a recurring problem where Daniel Craig doesn't get attached to these people, but he drags people into really terrible situations. And a lot of people die because Daniel Craig, well, no, because James Bond, who is played by Daniel, <laughs> I don't want to imply Craig's Daniel Bond. Craig. Is a, yeah. Craig's Bond <laughs> connects with these women and he, he like uses people, right? Now, in the beginning of the Craig uh range of movies mm-hmm. so i'll keep going back to i apologize but casino <laughs> royale he 
meets a woman who he falls in love very deeply with, and because of the plot of the movie, it goes through a pretty significant trauma. In the second movie, in Quantum of Solace, he meets a woman who he is never... There are women he's intimate with in that movie, but they, are, they die because they know who Bond is, and he's like chasing pretty dangerous people. And they, these women die, and he knows that it's his fault. And in uh, Spectre, he's accused by the main villain of that movie that everyone he loves, he leads to getting killed. Like, he kills these people himself, right? So there is something to be said in the Daniel Craig scope of movies that he is aware of and has been traumatized by the fact that he is very much a death sentence for these people. And I think this movie doesn't shy away from that. I mean, I'm trying to think through, because every movie does have a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is the actress that is chosen, and you hear about it before the movie comes out, and everyone knows it's going to be this person, right? Yeah. But in this movie, I'm trying to think who that would be. Um, and I know who I think it is, <laughs> but there are, there are maybe four candidates. The first one is the woman on that island that we never see her face and never hear from her again. But Bond is, again, this is one of these moments where Bond is like using this person. He's using this woman at the same time from cut to cut as he is drinking with a scorpion on his hand. Like he's very much self-destructive and he's yes. choosing to hurt himself, right? He's, he's just drinking himself into oblivion. He wants to die, it seems like. He's choosing to do things that are really dangerous. And he's also just like, it's, it's an escapism trope. He is, he is going over the top on these things. So it's not her, but right. she, she serves that purpose. She's not being necessarily taken advantage of by the movie so much as it is a sign that Bond is like losing himself a little bit. The second option is Eve, Money Penny, mm-hmm. who we see shoot him, obviously, but then she comes into his hotel room when he's in Macau. And the director has come out and said that when they cut away, they're never actually together. Like they don't actually have sex together. Um, which is an important thing because Eve, Money Penny, as a character across all of Bond, is someone that they like. She normally sits at the desk outside of M's office and they flirt, but they are never together, right? Um, but Eve is like desperately in love with Bond, but they never get together. That's the joke from previous movies. So yes. she doesn't actually get to be that Bond girl because she is a woman in this movie, but she's not the quote unquote Bond girl and they're not together. Which is weird, right? Because it's like, if she slept with him, would, she, would that degrade her character? You know, like is her having like an actual personality and like being an actual character in this movie, does that make her like, does that disqualify her from the Bond girl? like uh ethos yeah i see well i would i i guess i'm gonna make a bigger argument that no okay that there is a candidate for bond girl in this movie who doesn't fit any of the historic tropes right um and it is not the third woman on my list which is uh severine who is the macau sex trade or former macau sex trade woman right um i understand what you're saying it was very uncomfortable to watch her him get into the shower with her but if you watch that sequence and you watch her as she acts in that role, she's very obviously terrified. The actress gets that cue, like she is trying to seem terrified. He walks into the shower and she like is shaking. She's terrified. She braces because she doesn't know it's him. But then when she turns around and it's a silhouette, you still, she doesn't relax. Mm-hmm. I think that we're meant to be uncomfortable there. I think it's clear that Bond is doing the wrong thing. And if you put it in the scope of what's going on in that moment in the movie, Bond is also being the like 
audaciously overconfident Bond that we know from previous moments in the franchise. He literally gets onto the boat and just sails straight to the villain's lair. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't hide. He's not tucked in the cargo bay or yeah. something. Yeah. He's like full on standing on the bow of the ship. He walks in in handcuffs. And, and then what ends up happening with this woman is she doesn't, because I think in previous Bond installments, there's something to be said for like the fact that even though Bond does this thing, he always saves this girl. He'll always save the Bond girl. She's never going to get hurt, and he'll find her during his escape after he's blown up the base or something. But what yeah. happens? I mean, she gets beaten, and then the next time we see her, he has a chance to shoot the glass off her head, but he is not the man he was before. He is a broken Bond. He's shaking, and he's shivering, and he shoots, and he misses. And then uh, Javier Bardem, uh, Silva, goes ahead and just shoots her in the chest. Like, he just kills her. Yeah. And, and, he, and Bond condemns her to die, and, and it's impossible to deny that. I mean, Javier Bardem grabs her by the chin and says, your lovers are here. Like, he has already knows that they were together, and that condemned her to die. So I don't think that's... I understand that it's hard to watch that, but in previous movies, Bond would have done that, and we'd have to accept that that was good. I think this movie is not shying away from the fact that it was wrong and bond is the reason this woman dies that she should she never wanted him in there he should never you know what i mean yeah um so i i do think they are very very clearly fighting the trope of the bond girl in this movie yeah Um, no and i think that's important to confront because you can't just i think correcting james bond to just not have him be who he always has been would be i don't know if overcorrection is the right word but it would be jarring for him to suddenly not be a womanizer anymore after decades of leading the way in misogyny now it's just you change the perspective on the situation and say look how harmful this is we're not endorsing this this may be who john uh, who james bond is or currently is in this scene but it's not without consequence which is sounds like it was a difference between that and previous iterations so i think you've changed my mind on that yeah well it's interesting because casino royale you go back to that movie um it is very different the relationship between james bond and the bond girl in that movie is very different from what you previously previously see because she is like a real character who plays a real part in the plot and eventually dies because of her involvement with bond and And well and 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 because she is involved with Bond and also dies, but she is very much doing her own spying and yes. sneaking around in the background. I know we didn't watch that movie together, <laughs> though I ever, maybe I'd recommend everyone do that. But like, she dies because of her own stuff that she's gotten involved in. And she, to some extent, is dragging Bond into something. You know right. what I mean? Right. Right. So, but like, that relationship feels way more equal than it ever did before. And then for this movie to kind of... I don't know, keep condemning Bond and keep like keep building him toward that trope of who we think this character is and then showing the destruction that that actually causes um, is really interesting. I think it's, I don't know, it's very different than what I expected. And yeah, I was kind of rolling my eyes at that moment and I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's just, I guess he has to have sex with her for whatever reason. But no, it makes sense from the greater context of this character that they're building that he is building himself into the bond that we know, but not necessarily the bond we love. <laughs> right, exactly right. Um, and I think they, they make sure that his like, audacious overconfidence is corrected in this movie because every time he's that way, not only with Severine, but also when he, um, 
is trying to fight the guy on top of the train and, and, and then he gets shot. Like there's all sorts of moments where Bond being Bond and being the super spy goes wrong. Yes. And they, they do that pretty intentionally. Right. Well, even when he's um, when he returns from the dead. Right. And like M says, you're you know, you have no attachments. You have no family, no next of kin. You have you don't even have any friends. So like we just sold all your stuff. We thought you were dead. It's like the real detriment for being a complete completely alone comes to haunt him in that moment. All these things that were supposed to be so cool, like, oh, I'm a loner. You know, I drink for fun and parties and stuff, and I sleep with lots of exotic women. Like none of those things are as appealing if this character is a real person. Right. There's a lot of brokenness. Yes. Implied in that. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, like we said earlier, that like with that first woman who we don't even know on the beach, like they don't pretend that he's having a wonderful tropical experience. They make it clear that he is still really miserable and suffering just, and grieving just trying and to avoid the feeling of being alone. Right. And then he, what, what does he say? He comes back and he goes, my pathetic love of country or something <laughs> yes. when, he, when he finally comes home to England because he's here to save him. But yes. anyway, it, to some extent, his, his sense of duty, which is the good thing that Bond had, it was a good trait, something that people wouldn't look at and think is a sign that he's a misogynist or a, a broken person. Mm-hmm. His sense of duty brings him back. His sense of duty pushes him forward in the story. But all the faults he has is why a lot of people die. Yeah. Um, and then I think there is a candidate. I guess I'll, I'll round this out with saying there is a candidate for the Bond girl in this movie. And it makes sense because she dies and this is her last installment but it's very clear to me that m is the central bond girl she has more as much screen time i think i mean i'd have to look at the numbers but nearly as much screen time as daniel craig she is a complicated character she goes through her own story arc she starts by being she has literally your what, what's the what does it say on the computer screen when she clicks that link it says you think on your sins yeah. or something. Yes, yes. she is her sins come back to haunt her She's, there's two examples. There's Bond, who she had shot because she was impatient, because she didn't think Bond could do it, and Bond gets shot, and Bond comes home. Silva, she had condemned to die, and he had condemned himself to die, and he lives and comes back to her. She's forced to face these things in, at the same time as going through an inquiry about whether or not it makes sense for them to be spies anymore or to run the spy ring anymore, and she is being fired by all accounts from her job. She ends up at the house at the end of the movie in Skyfall, and she is grieving. There's, I think there's only one F-bomb in all of the Daniel Craig movies, I believe, and it's her saying, I effed this up, mm. didn't I? Yeah. Well, she, is, she is literally sitting there having to confront the fact that she... So there has never been a more complicated Bond girl, but it is pretty clear to me that, that Dame Judi Dench is the one who fills that role in this movie. There really is no other option. Wow. And I think she's exceptional in that spot but again if you think of that in the context of you know this prompt here of classic bond things if that doesn't undermine the bond girl trope i don't know what would no i think that's awesome definitely i mean um m certainly fits that role too right i mean she's uh she's someone that bond loves but in like in a different way in that relationship is another thing that's never really fleshed out until this movie right it's like, what, why exactly does Bond do what M says, right? Is it because, like, again, his, his duty, like, because she's, her, she's his boss? Or is it something deeper? Like, is there some reason why he feels this attachment to keep coming back? Like, she's the only thing that's ever been there for him and made him into the thing he is. Um, and at the end, right, like, she says, 
Well, at least I got one thing right to talk about him. But even that feels weird because it's like, is she still twisting the knife? Like, she is she still like manipulating him into staying on or does she really actually care about him? It's really hard to tell like what their relationship is. And I also think that's kind of a bond, like a femme fatale thing is naturally falls into the bond storyline where you have a, a woman who has like uh, dual motives, right? Uh, on one hand, they are, um, you know, working with the main hero, but then they're also working with the villain. You can see M kind of doing the same thing where she's like, she's using uh, Bond's attachment to her for her own advantage. Um, and it's hard to know where that starts and where that ends. So having M be such an important character for so long in Bond, what did it mean to you as a longtime Bond viewer to see that come to an end and have her actually die? I thought, as a lo- well, in the context of the question, as a longtime Bond viewer, I appreciated the way they treated her. I know she died by getting shot, so maybe not in that direct sense, but I appreciated that they gave her some life in the movie that gave her that complexity. Um, I think they did a good job transitioning, because there have been other M's before. There's been plenty of other Bonds. There was one or two other M's, but this uh, Judy Dench has played this role for so long that if they were going to, they couldn't just go to the next movie and have her have been replaced. Right. Mm -hmm. And you got the sense, obviously they probably didn't go to Judy Dench and say, we're going to kill you so much as they probably went to Judy Dench. And she said, I I've got one more movie I'm willing to do. And they said, okay, well then you deserve this one to be a celebration of you. Um, Because I think Mallory is a good replacement. I liked the character that Mallory plays is like someone that you start in the movie and you think he's going to be this like uptight bureaucrat who's going to come in and mess with what they've got going. And then you realize that actually he's pretty chill. And yeah. And he cares a lot about the, he understands the value. And, and there's a couple moments where he and M get to bounce ideas off each other, not just standing together where he seems like he's there to mess with our character. But there's, you know, during the hearing when the prime minister is just like ranting at her and he goes just for the sake of uh variety variety (laughs) would you mind if we actually hear from the witness and you're like okay mallory okay yeah and then right Uh, after he takes the shot yeah yeah, he he takes a bullet for her and he also grabs a gun he's about that action you know so he did a lot to him to endear himself to the audience um and i guess when i wrote this question i i hadn't really considered just how long Bond has been around in the sense that there's definitely been other M's. So while, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, maybe uh, this is who M is. Like they can't really imagine someone other than Judy Dench playing M in this era. Of course, that's going to come to an end, you know, because Bond outlasts all of the people who are actors in Bond. Mm-hmm. So to have a new M is just another part of the series, you know? So right. I guess it wouldn't be that jarring to think that there would that era would come to an end. I think the fact that she dies and then Mallory takes over also sort of winks at this grand theory that all the James, I don't know if you've heard this one before. There's mm-hmm. this theory that these are actually all movies in one large s- sequence that are not remakes, even though they're explicitly remakes. But the idea is that Bond, like 007 is a, is a title yes. that is assigned to a particular agent who is James Bond. And that's their like cover name. And 007 is a type. So it's not that Sean Connery played the role and then they started over with another character. Even though that is literally what they did, there's the sort of internet theory that maybe each Bond is in the same timeline. Um, Which 
it sort of winks at that because M, they don't just replace Judy Dench as M. M yeah. has to die, and another M has to take over the thing, and he becomes M. I guess because of his name, but right. like, <laughs> but he, he he takes that mantle in the same way that people suggest that Bond takes up the mantle of being James Bond. So I thought that was interesting too. Okay, so while we're talking about characters being replaced by new actors, um, what was your t- like? Any opinions on the new Q? I liked Q. I like that he's young. All the other Qs were pretty old. I was, we talked about like John Cleese. John Cleese. Like, I can't believe John Cleese <laughs> is a James Bond character. That's amazing. He is exactly himself, too. He's like, he laughs and jokes around and he'll like, I don't remember the specifics because I'd have to watch him back. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think he like, he'll like do goofy things. Yeah. I, invisible car. <laughs> I, think I can see him. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. But this Q is young. He's smart. He knows about the internet and that's right computers uh so he's very much but without going overboard he doesn't give him doc ock arms or some other <laughs> other like future tech he keeps it simple he has that line he says um i i wager i could do more damage at my computer before my first cup of earl gray than you could yes. do with a year in the field <laughs> and he goes well sometimes a trigger has to be pulled yes, or yes. not pulled and that is like that's i think that's that is the central thesis of this particular cue and i think they do a good job with him i really liked him he plays um a, an iconic bear character Car- iconic bear he actually plays paddington and i don't know anything about that character i just know that, that is something he's done that's amazing <laughs> yeah paddington is very iconic we uh, did paddington for the show yes and he's like i don't know I, <laughs> as far so as funny. bears go like he's british winnie the pooh or or no, is Brady the Pooh British? He's like he's like Mary, the Mary Poppins. Like if Mary yeah. Poppins was a bear. Yes. Well, it, no, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he's a very iconic character. So that's amazing to see him get another iconic British role uh, as Q. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I like the actor. I don't. I didn't know anything about him except yeah. that when I, I heard he that, I thought that was an kind of funny. Bear. He's an iconic bear. Yeah. <laughs> amazing well um well let's continue down this line of kind of talking about the individual characters and um let's talk about javier bardem okay um because we already (laughs) talked a little bit about how much we love him but he is so good in this movie i thought his introduction was particularly memorable this long take where he's at the other end of the room you don't even can't even see him yet but here he is going on this long-winded story about rats and it's i think it's a good story i unironically loved listening to him talk about the rats and i kept thinking like oh he's gonna do something like burn a whole barrel of rats that's terrible (laughs) no it turns into this rat cannibal story and then he's able to pretty like uh aptly apply that to the situation that they're in and immediately i'm hooked i love this guy already those are my favorite types of villains where they're obviously sinister they're obviously bad they're a villain you're not supposed to agree with them but they try to get you to agree with them anyways and javier bardem is so smooth so cool um and he he's great across from daniel craig who is great in his own right in this film yeah so i was just completely blown away blown away they i'm glad that they saved him for the second half of the movie because it gives daniel craig his opportunity to be the main important guy for the first half because if javier bardem was in this entire movie they'd have to rename it scavier bard fall because he is (laughs) everything that i love about this movie once he gets on screen so um 
and also he has a legitimate grievance with mom. It's frustrating when you get a villain who with is mom. not. Yeah, that's what I'm calling it. Um, he has a legitimate grievance because it's tough when you have a contrived villain's motivation where they're like i have to of course i'm going to destroy the planet james bond i'm evil you know it's like no you live on the planet dude um but his character silva i keep calling him just javier bardem he has this complex relationship with with m that we've talked about and um and it's so close to james's relationship with her and it's all very compelling up until his death like they they he has he does such a great job in this role but the role is also great in its own right um and i just think this movie it, it really makes this movie so much better to have such a great villain uh featured in, yeah uh, in that role i okay i really liked every moment when he was ahead right where he where he was telling the story and then he was killing Severine. And then when he was in the prison and he had his whole like thing with the, taking out these teeth and his like face starts to disintegrate. And then um, he escapes and throws a train at Bond, which is wacky as hell. But very funny. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. And then he, um, then he like goes up to, gets to where M is. And then he like fails because Bond gets there first and Bond's like sort of his foil or equal. And then, I don't know, I feel like it kind of falls off. You don't get a lot more of him, like, being the smart guy. Instead, he's like, I got all these resources. I'll just bring a helicopter and blow the whole place up. That sounds like a plan. Playing blast and rock and roll music. I (laughs) mean, that's a pretty awesome baller entrance. It is. (laughs) No, he's definitely very cinematic. But, like, I don't know. I, I wanted there to be more from him in those last moments to really solidify this idea of, like, old versus new and, like, how you know, we're not so different, you and I, James Bond. Um, that would be really, <laughs> that would be really great to have a little bit more of that, I think, from from that character. But yeah, I really did like him as, as a villain. The other thing that was like, I wish I had more of is that if this, if the Bond movies were more um, like, uh, what's not episodic, but um, Serial. serialized, thank yeah. you, uh, then you could establish him as a character earlier in the franchise and have him disappear and then come back as a villain i think that makes it much more powerful instead you get all that context all at once right you don't get any sort of introduction to silva as an agent you know there's never a reference like uh oh, same things happening to bond that happened to silva aren't you worried about what happened before like none of that happens so you just kind of are introduced to him as a fully fleshed character all at once um, without any of that uh, build up which i think is kind of a missed opportunity I think what's int- I really liked the end of his character when he dies. I think there's two things yeah. I liked about it. The first part is that when he gets stabbed in the back, he like turns around and looks at Bond. And the way that Javier Bardem plays that moment is like he's annoyed <laughs> that he's <laughs> yes. like, I can't believe you would stab me in the back, um, which I thought was super funny because he'd like made it so far. But I think there's a lot of like, it's really powerful that he finally gets M and he almost he was going to shoot her before yes. when they were in the in the parliamentary building right he stood there and yes. held his gun he didn't pull the trigger though because he just couldn't quite do it and so this time he chases her down he gets her, to her in this chapel and he is like he puts the gun in her hand and holds his head up against hers because he can't do it he can't shoot her and you get the sense that he always wanted to die he's wanted to die since he ate all that ate the cyanide yeah bell, right but he doesn't, he can't do it. And, and he literally is like putting the gun in the hands of this woman who he thinks is his, by all accounts, is his mother who has betrayed him so brutally. And he like, I just like 
you got to know, M's dying, and she knows she's dying, and here's a guy who's done so much wrong, and she knows he's terrible, and she needs to kill him, and he's like, and you could imagine for a moment before Bond throws the knife that M's going to, like, this is M's moment where she's going to have to decide to do this, and how dark is that? Yeah. Shoot yourself to kill the bad guy who is so, he's so twisted that he can't shoot you, and he can't shoot himself. He needs you to do it for him. I don't know. I man, I, you you cannot compliment his performance enough. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. Where does he? I don't like to rank things like this because movies—they're not a competition. There's no scoreboard. It's all subjective. But as far as Bond villains go, where does he kind of land for you? Is he? I think in the depth of the performance, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to think back. There's a lot of Bond villains who are iconic Bond villains yeah. from previous movies. Um, but odd like, ah, job is a good example. Jaws. Jaws is a good example. But like the early Bonds, their villains were properly ridiculous. Yes. Uh, in the same way, you know, we make the joke about the name of Bond girls being properly ridiculous. Like it was, it was much more goofy on the nose and it's you know like it's it's bond tied to a table and a laser is going to cut him in half and that kind of stuff or like they're going to take over the world right There's where the, that, the villain is describing their entire plan to him as this happens right yeah, that uh, trope you mentioned austin powers like i don't think if skyfall was the only bond movie austin powers would have been a spin-off like mm-hmm. the, there is no joke to be made about Skyfall in the same way there's a joke to be made about a movie where the villain just has big teeth and that's like his <laughs> His crime. Yeah, <laughs> that's why they call him Jaws. Yes, he's got ginormous exactly. teeth. He's a shark. He's got like he's sharpened got like, teeth. Yeah, sharpened metal teeth. <laughs> wow. He uses it to or cut like through a cable has, car. Yeah, cable. exactly right. Odd job has like he throws his hat that yes. will kill you. Oh, he's OP in um, Goldeneye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's too small. So yeah, in the game, there's a game for. <laughs> oh, I played uh, it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, he's too small in Goldeneye. So it's, it's cheating to play as <laughs> as Odd job. It's just funny. Just because of how broken that game is. Wow. Um, but anyway, he, so he, it's hard to compare them. Sure. But he stands out as, like, he's not, he's not holding a cat and stroking a cat on a chair while he monologues. No, Mr. He's Bond, like, I expect you to die. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. No, he, he, he um, is compelling in his own right, I think. And he's just a good character. Like, you want to know more about Silva. You don't need to know more about Jaws. Right. I like, see. Like, oh, I get it. He was a villain and now he's not. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I mean... Maybe someone will go back and say, actually, Jaws didn't die and blah, blah, blah. But I don't remember exactly. But, you know. <laughs> I got to look up some of these other way. Bond villains. These guys sound interesting. Oh, they worth the Google run just to see what they look like. They just like. keep making them, you know? So, um, Okay, I got, I got one more thing to, to I want to kind of propose to you guys. Um, so this movie, is, like, it really plays with the idea of Bond style of espionage being out of date. Um, and like, in, the, in effect, spy thrillers like bond movies also kind of overstaying their welcome it's interesting because bond is sort of transformed into in this movie sort of transformed or and i think actually throughout all the daniel craig movies from a classic hero of film to like a modern flawed anti-hero um which i think is interesting when you think about the whole franchise as a whole the bond series is very disjointed and episodic there's so many actors playing the role and each bringing a very different energy it means that there isn't really a cohesive story, but instead of an aesthetic and a character that persists. But both the franchise and the character have to grow over time to shift into something new as you know, sensibilities change and as our, uh, like the things that the audience wants changes. I mean, the action certainly evolves over time, so should the character as well. Um, 
it kind of gets you to ask what is what is the consistency what is the thing that makes bond bond what is the essence of james bond mm-hmm. do you have an answer to that scott it's what's interesting is we already went through a list of all these things that are iconic about bond but i can look at this movie and say it is one of my favorite if not my favorite james bond movie and we just went through why so many of those tropes don't actually play in yeah. this movie so i it does beg that question and i think it is some of it is the spy element this sense of like the suave mm-hmm. spy because i remember growing up wanting to be James Bond, which is part of the reason why the some of the more dark and awful parts of who James Bond is as a person, as a written character, are so difficult to parse with like modern society because mm-hmm. you don't want kids growing up thinking about what it would be like to be Bond or idealizing certain you know toxic masculinity or, that or, is or emulating him, yeah, in various aspects, right. yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of society that does that without bond being yes. the, bond doesn't have to be the culprit but certainly growing up like bond was someone that i thought was particularly iconic and powerful and i wanted to be james we'd run around the neighborhood shooting finger guns at each other because we're james bond right right um but i think what i think there's there's two pieces there's the the action adventure you talk about like the international spy who goes with this license to kill can go and do whatever it takes to complete a mission and there is this like the look that is James Bond, there. these like I, these iconic fitted suits, and he's just so like dashing in a way that you you want to you want to know that you could wear a suit like James Bond. I know people who wear tuxedos at like a wedding, and they that's what they'll say is they feel like James Bond. Like there's something about that right. that doesn't have to go away as they make Bond evolve into you know a modern character. There's, there's some discussion, because I don't think they've settled on who the next Bond is going to be, because Craig, Daniel Craig is done. Um, there's some like really boring options, but there's, there's uh, like Idris Elbow's on the list for a long time, and people have been voting for him, so yeah. you'd have a, a, a Bond that's a person of color, which would be really powerful. There's also been women who have been uh, lined up to potentially take over the role, and I don't think Bond loses. There's a lot of people on the internet who are terrible. <laughs> That's the end of that sentence? Yes. But there are also people on the internet who are terrible about this question, saying, like, Bond would never be a woman. That doesn't make any sense. But I don't think... I think Skyfall does challenge you to say, what is it about Bond that makes Bond James Bond? Yes. Is there any reason why a woman couldn't be this person? Like, I think it's interesting because it would feel weird culturally to have a woman who is, like, a a womanizer but not a woman like a manizer yeah she yeah. could still be a, a womanizer heat-mizer or whatever it is. But, um <laughs> like the yeah she could still be a womanizer that's a fair point but it would feel it would feel weird i think culturally but it shouldn't except that it it was always wrong for the character to be objectifying anyone that they're trying to be romantically engaged with that way but there's there's i think there'll be some interesting challenges when they go into that and make that decision i hope they choose somebody who's different than white man bond but but it does call and it does make you wonder what is it that defines it and i think i think there's a couple pieces but we've obviously seen in this movie a lot can change yeah well it's kind of like the sum of many parts right like every little aspect kind of builds into that it's not just the it's not just the title of the movie really i mean this movie feels very similar to quantum solace and um casino royale at least to me it has that same weight to it and um the other james bonds like with sean connery stuff they feel different but they're still very 
Bond-like because it's like all part of that same kind of idea, like international man of mystery. He's, you know, he's out there uh, traveling the world and, you know, being super cool and solving these really complicated problems by shooting his gun really well. Like all of that is, uh, I think, stuff that you could keep and then still build on. And I think one of the opportunities that Skyfall brings to focus is that because Bond is so ill-defined as a character, you can build so much around him or on top of him to make him interesting and not just rely on him as a character or like his villains or the situation to drive it forward. You could make Bond into a more interesting person while keeping a lot of the things that we've always liked about him the same. I think you're, it's interesting now I'm thinking about it, that he is definitely greater than the sum of his parts. Because one of the things I was going to, kind of like the stuff you listed, Ben, one of the things that stands out to me is like having him in an Aston Martin driving fast and like chasing someone, uh, maybe on ice or yes. in a snowsuit or skiing down a hill <laughs> yep. really fast. Like, that's interesting. But I wouldn't say that the Fast and Furious movies are Bond movies. Right. You right. wouldn't say that Dominic Toretto is James Bond. Right. Uh, but there's guns in those movies. So it's not just that he's good at shooting guns. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's like a combination of all these things. There are plenty of movies where people wear suits and do... Like, I wouldn't say that Kingsman is a Bond movie, even though that, uh, The Kingsman or whatever, I don't know yeah, yeah. the franchise called, but that movie is, to some extent, a salute to Bond. It's supposed to be kind of a Bond right, thing. Right, it's, it's like another spy, spy thriller type thing. It has some of the same aesthetics and stuff, but it feels very different, right? That one's way more... And it's more tongue-in-cheek than even this movie is. Mm -hmm. This movie is very serious about Bond, even though it's like being very critical of it. It's not doing it in a, in a jokey way. Right. It's, like, it's, it's trying to make you think about why it is the way it is, way more than like say, hey, isn't this funny? There is um, an unfortunate thing, and I remember being true of myself when I was younger, but a lot of, a lot of the internet and also a lot of young people consuming franchises like this consuming media would describe a character that seems flawed as poorly written mm -hmm. this idea of like you know it happens in harry potter someone will say well daniel craig says this or, or ron weasley says this to harry potter and he would never do that so this is a poorly written movie obviously star wars somewhat famously now is like every time a new star wars movie comes out the first thing that people decide is that it's awful and terribly written and they yeah. miss the characters and you go well why is that characters can be complicated and can have problems and can make mistakes and, and I say think, the wrong thing yeah and that's where you know with the the shower scene that we're talking about i think that's where they do a good job with bond in this movie is that he he used to be so polished and smooth that it would i remember when i first saw casino royale the very beginning of the movie he's getting into a fight with a guy and he's like has to drown him in a sink and well like after shattering two sinks and bond is like bruised and beaten and you're, it was like this this feels different because bond has never lost a fight before and he, by all he managed to survive, but he's like drowning a guy in a bathroom yeah, yeah. sink, soaked in sweat and what? And and you're, I think they did a good job with Daniel Craig's Bonds to say, it's okay for a character to be messed up. He is not a worse character because he has flaws. In fact, Bond is a flawed character and like by definition. Yes. Um, so is Daniel Craig's Bond kind of a departure from the previous Bonds, where it was a different actor but more or less playing the exact same character? Like, is it opening the door to, like, a redefinition of Bond in a way that previous Bonds didn't open that door? There's, I, I feel like there's been, like, a shift in tone a little bit. You know, there, I think the um, Pierce Brosnan ones were a little bit more silly. 
Um, and there was another one too that's like even more wacky than that. I think it's he only played Bond one time. I can't remember what his name is. But um, I think there's been like you know at first I think with Sean Connery is very adhered pretty closely to how Ian Fleming originally wrote the character, and then it sort of evolved into okay, well let's make it more interesting to modern audiences, and they like over the top silly things. So let's put that in there. And then as it kind of came into 2012, and with like you know the resurgence of stuff like The Dark Knight, I think gritty realism sort of became a thing. And then as we kind of developed into more character-driven stories and trying to make sure that everything, like, not everything makes sense, but like making, uh, giving depth or reason or explaining why something is the way it is became very popular. Skyfall kind of found its niche. So I think it just kind of reflects the cultural moment in a way. I don't know if this is, you could even say this is a huge departure from how other bonds have been as much as it's been like a, um, it's just reflecting the current moment. And maybe our current moment is more drastically different than it was in the 80s. But like, it's, um, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a huge step. I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said about Daniel Craig as Bond. I was surprised when I heard people first saying that they like, they think Daniel Craig is the best Bond. But I, I certainly agree with that. I think there's, it makes the movie way more interesting his character development throughout the series, as Scott has described, uh, makes it like import like a uh, more compelling to watch carefully. It's not just a fun action movie; it actually is trying to do something. Um, and this character is hard to define, so helping to define it in this way is um, awesome. I think you mentioned that you know Pierce Brosnan's James Bond is a more kind of goofy James Bond, or at least the friend, like his series is more goofy. I'm thinking about. There was a, I think the movie's called Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's cast in this like ice palace. Yes. But the main villain, so the, the main threat to the world is a giant satellite that shoots a, a beam of sunlight that'll, that'll like destroy. Essentially, it's like a, a super weapon. And the main villain is this like English dude who is a world, I think he's an Olympic medalist fencer. <laughs> <laughs> who enters the movie by yes, jumping out right. of an airplane. But then it turns out that actually he is this like guy from North Korea who had his entire body, like he did a facial reconstruction and then became this fencer and then went on to become this like knighted English man wow. who, who runs, who uses this super weapon to try to destroy the world, right? Uh, whereas Daniel Craig's Bond's, the, you know, Casino Royale's villain is a guy who, cry, who cries blood because of a medical condition, but otherwise is just someone who funds uh warlords in in like third world countries the second villain is a guy who runs a company that claims to protect the environment but actually is destroying the environment then you have javier bardem uh silva who is a xmi6 agent yeah who, who uses the internet to undermine governments to sell for money right like those are real in the same, I mean, you make the comment, this idea of gritty realism in the Dark Knight sort of format. It is true. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but that is what makes, I think this bond is so grounded that you could imagine this stuff really happening. Whereas yes. the absurdity of, of all of the Pierce Brosnan, and, and that's not to say those weren't fun. They're fun to watch. But this one, I wouldn't say Skyfall is fun to watch, but it's great. And it, you enjoy watching it that movie you know pierce rosnan is driving through an ice palace in his aston martin on an area that's entirely made of ice while being <laughs> shot at by a space laser <laughs> and like no one else minds that that's happening he's the only one who cares <laughs> and you're thinking like how is this not an international conflict because it's, it's a 
Bond movie, but that, you know, this movie has a little bit more, I think, that makes you feel like it could be happening right. and you just didn't know it was happening. Right, right. right. It's in the shadows kind of thing that keeps coming up. Yeah, That's yeah. where all the action is happening now in the modern world. That's right. right. So, all yeah, right. Our, what is the, what's the line that M says? Our villains aren't more obvious. They're more opaque. Or yes. They're, they're yes. Not clearer. They're more opaque and they're not a flag. They don't have a flag. They don't have a country. And you're like, shoot, this is Trolls. scary. Yeah. No, it, it is. <laughs> it is scary. <laughs> But okay, I think we're going to uh, take a quick break, but stick around because when we come back, we'll be going over our cool Easter eggs and quotable moments. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. This is Squilliam Fancy Son from Band Class. And you're listening to Affable Chat. My favorite podcast. Good eye. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Daddy Zuko from Greece. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we are back with our guest, Scott Miller. We're going to talk about our cool Easter eggs for Skyfall. Scott, what have you got? So I, uh, I heard this the other day, actually, while I was watching it ahead of this podcast, that uh, there's that sequence in, I don't think it's in Macau. I think this one's in Hong Kong. He's in that Skyrise building and Bond is fighting the assassin and the assassin falls off the building, that whole sequence. Yes. When the assassin is shooting his target, uh, the sequence that's going on in the building across where his target's sitting is they are pulling a curtain off of a painting that you have to assume he was thinking of buying, maybe. Sure. That painting is called Woman in Fan, and actually two years before the movie was made, that painting was stolen, and no one knows where it is. Really? So there's a, a joke theory that this movie was used to traffic that painting, because <laughs> they, they managed to incorporate it into the set stuff, and then it gets put in a box somewhere, and then it gets stolen. But they, for whatever reason, they chose that painting, but that painting, uh, by all accounts, doesn't exist anymore, or oh, at least isn't out. It's open. gone. That's crazy. <laughs> I always wonder, with painting thieves, like, you can't sell that painting to somebody and have that person then display that painting, because right. the painting was well, stolen. Can it can display it um, privately. Right. But what does that mean? <laughs> what is displaying art a in your of, home? Well, a lot of art is privately. used to for money laundering purposes, mm. right? They'll keep things in. They do this in um, uh, a tenant. There's the Freeport. Right, right. Uh, where you shit. It's basically like a holding cell for international art. You can, you can put it in this place that like is in transit. So you don't have to pay taxes on it. And you can put all your money into this art piece. Say, oh, I think this art piece is worth exactly how much I have in my bank account. Mm. And then you put it on there, and then okay, that's <laughs> how much that art's worth, and I'll sell it later for that much. And it just sits in transit, and you never have to pay uh, the taxes on that thing. And then later on, you can say, I'm going to sell that for however much I sold, I bought it for, or more. And end up uh, with your money back, right? Okay. But if it's stolen, you couldn't get it appraised, right? Like, how would it be worth that much money if you couldn't tell anybody you had? Because someone would have to say, "Oh no, this is the real one," right? Like they would look at it and go, "This is not a forgery." Like if I hung it in my house, I could 
Like, for instance, I think it would be really cool if I had a lot of money to buy the version of this painting that was used in this movie. Right. right. Knowing right. that the painting had been stolen and doesn't exist. And now there's this one version in Skyfall and be like, I think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. But someone would have to come and look at it. And if they came and looked at it, just buy it from me and said, oh, this is the real one. You have to imagine they then call the police. I right, know, right. What do you do? It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to that museum somewhere. But I understand. I guess I understand that, like, oh. there's all sorts of underground ways to move money what's yeah. the there's a internet thing that's happening ah right now. NFTs. <laughs> nfts the new yeah art world we all, as long as this podcast is it's not long enough to talk about NFTs. yes but <laughs> i do but i will springboard off of this uh easter egg to talk about one of my favorite sequences of the film which was the hand-to-hand combat that happened between james bond and the sniper this one really stu- stood out to me especially in the modern era of action movies because it feels like having quick cuts for hand-to-hand combat is kind of the norm now you don't have to actually be that good at pretending to fight because the camera is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting they're going to remove some frames here they're going to cut as soon as contact is made so it's hard to see what's going on you get that there's cool action but from my perspective it's not as fun it's it's tough to tell what's going on it doesn't look real in the scene where he fights with the sniper it's one long take of the silhouette of the two of them going back and forth that results in still this long take where the camera goes above them and he's hanging out of the building. Like the, the, the hand-to-hand combat begins, you get to see the whole thing, and it ends with this really cool shot of him hanging off the side of the building. And I was completely blown away. Not every sequence of action in this movie goes to that level of detail or even tries to accomplish anything like that, but that one really stood out to me as really well done and just amazing the use of silhouettes in this movie is amazing yes i loved every moment where they had those like bond was uh silhouetted he's sitting in the um in, in m's house right and you can see him from the like backlit and uh jenny i was watching with jenny and she's like who is that and i could tell from the ears that is <laughs> <Greg>. <laughs> it's you're right though because I mean, everything in that sequence with the sniper is really cool for lighting and stuff because there's like when he's about to, like when they first, Daniel Craig first gets there and he goes to open the door and the sniper hears the door and turns and looks. But because of the giant jellyfish on yeah, the wall, he and the only light moved and when, they're th- when the billboard was moving. Because because he was able to hide, which is such a cool attention to detail. That's I nice. also, the, you make the comment about the Daniel Craig sitting at Mem's house. The, I think that was meant to be a call, call back to. Um, Daniel Craig at one point in Casino Royale. I, want to back to that again. <laughs> I mean, honestly, everyone should watch that movie as well. But Daniel Craig in Casino Royale breaks into M's house and then like steals all her passwords and stuff. Yeah. Um, without telling her, and, and M finds out he did because she sees this, her computer's open and stuff. And um, and then like, later in the movie, he's signed into her account somewhere in the tropics and she's like how the hell does he know these things and it's just because that's like where you get this really badass bond moment well this is not a badass bond moment he's like doesn't have anywhere to go <laughs> she says you're bloody well not staying here like it's just anyway <laughs> that is you're right that is a really iconic moment and it's clearly a callback but it's just funny how different those two sequences yeah, are. yeah yeah so our next cool easter egg is going to be one from me and this one isn't re- like it's not totally an easter egg because it's not real but when i first saw the deserted island i paused the movie and i was like that's the that's limbo from inception that's literally the set from inside it has to be and i looked it up and a lot of people had the same reaction but it isn't it's a different uh. set but it does look very similar to that same deserted or, or even like ruined city from inception 
Uh, okay. Did you guys have any sort of feeling like that? I don't know if you guys have seen no, it. No, it looked you know spooky, but yeah. I didn't I didn't recognize it as anything from Inception. Yeah. Well, it, it's not, again, it's not really a cool Easter egg, but I was like, that has to be. And then a lot of people on the internet agree with me, but it's that I think is that, that deserted island's really cool because it's a really interesting way to use the absence of something to imply power, right? And, and then Savine uh, goes ahead and says it explicitly. She's like, <laughs> there, the fact that there's just bikes abandoned and there's just like nothing on this island is because of how powerful Silva is with his computer that he was able to say one thing that implied something yeah. that didn't even have to be true. And everyone just picked up and left. And yeah. I think Silva says something similar. And so you, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of other examples in other movies, but I think it's just a really powerful way to do that. Like, there is nobody on this island and it's abandoned and he gets an island for free. And then he jokes about how his grandmother had an island and it was nothing to boast about. And you're like, man, this guy is messed up. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, that whole sequence is awesome. Don't get me started on Javier again. I love him. Yeah. Right. Joey, what have you got? <laughs> um, so the Austin Martin uh, DB five that you see in the movie um, is a classic bond car. It's been in a ton of different movies. It was first in Goldfinger uh, with Sean Connery. Then it was, um, it was actually crashed in Goldfinger and then was restored by Q in Thunderball. Um, and then it was in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, Casino Royale. He wins it in the game. Um, in Inspector, it comes back again. In No Time to Die, it's also back there. Um, so yeah, this is a classic car from the Bond franchise. And actually, you, Scott, or Benjamin, Are could own one. one. Oh. Uh, for the low, low price. <laughs> I thought you were about to give me a car. <laughs> no, not that, not that kind of show. For 2.75 million euros. Um, Just out of my price range. <laughs> apparently, well, I read something about it that like when it first came out, there was only 1,065 made or something. That might oh, not really? be the exact number, but a super small. It was like a little over 1,000 made. And it sold at the time for just over three thousand pounds. Wow. wow! And now you could now that is a way to invest your money. <laughs> so this so this one that they that they have is was made in twenty twenty, and it is like supposed to be James Bond's Aston Martin. It even has some of the same gadgets um, from there. For example, it has like a smoke screen. It has like a bulletproof uh, shield that comes up. It has uh, it can spray water out of the back instead of oil. It has some sort of bumper that like sticks out with solenoids. It has fake machine guns that come out of the um, uh, the headlights, um, and like the interior all looks very similar and has like a phone in it and all sorts of stuff. So it's like a meticulously um, recrafted, uh, and of course it's not street legal. But um, you could own one of the twenty five for uh, you know a couple million <laughs> i didn't appreciate the value of the car but now the fact that bond wins it at a casual poker tournament <laughs> right. that is the worst bet that that other it's guy has funny. ever made because <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't know it certainly the pot wasn't four million dollars <laughs> yes <laughs> and he drops two and a half million just to try to win a thousand dollars it's good okay well those are our cool easter eggs let's move on to our quotable moments and um, Scott, you've got this first one. Did you want to preface this with anything? All right. Well, then let's get into it. Just point and click. Well, everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? Resurrection. <laughs> what I love about that is that 
first of all, that's a pretty baller line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's your hobby? Resurrection. Um, but I also think it, when we watched Bond come to the island, he has not, like, uh, he hasn't caused someone to die yet. He didn't realize exactly how bad this situation was going to go. Um, there is still in Bond's mind the, the audacious Bond who steps out of a cabin onto the bow of a ship knowing that he's going to get arrested but, or tied up or whatever, but whatever, he'll be fine. He's going to kill all these people, all this stuff. Like When he uses the term resurrection, there is obviously an iconic thing that your mind goes to when you hear resurrection, which is the, this idea of like he's referencing essentially connecting himself to Jesus Christ in that yeah. sense right yeah. yeah this is like the that is the definitive what the word resurrection might call to mind especially in western culture and so it's interesting because bond is even in this moment in the movie has absolutely decided like he, he absolutely believes that he is somewhat untouchable i think even though he's broken and stuff but he's getting his mojo back and he seems to be tying himself to the image of christ and <laughs> resurrection in that sense i yeah. think is really powerful and then he absolutely gets knocked down a peg and i like i'm not sure that the bond at the end of the movie makes that same line ah. i don't think it's true that bond believes that like that's obviously yeah. he's joking about it being a hobby but like there's a bond who is so audaciously confident that he says something like that and i think the bond at the end of the movie would never have done, would never do that again sure you know what i mean um Anyway, so I thought that was a really powerful line, and that whole sequence is powerful, and we've talked a lot about it, that exchange between him and Silva, the introduction of Silva as a villain, but this idea of the sort of the juxtaposition between Silva, who thinks he's going to die, doesn't die, and becomes a, a terrorist, and Bond's, the joke Bond makes here is just that his whole thing is that he doesn't die. Like... <laughs> Right. You know, anyway, I, I thought it was kind of interesting, and I enjoyed the quote certainly, and it's a pretty badass line. So, no, I think there's definitely like it's worth analyzing because it, it it was a little jarring, I think, at first to be like resurrection. No, it's just not something. It's not a hobby people have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it. I think it references a lot. I mean, it references certainly the franchise of how like the Bond franchise is still ongoing fifty years later. You know, he keeps getting resurrected um, and re energized and to be something new um he literally is resurrected at the beginning of the movie right he they everyone thinks he's dead and he comes right back to life um and i think kind of tying it back to what you were just saying scott it's like it doesn't matter what you do to me i'm gonna come back um there's like i am like i just that's what i do is i like survive mm -hmm. i mean he died at the beginning he died at the beginning of the movie and yeah. here he is yeah you know? he's back all right uh we got another quote uh this is kind of a I don't know, it's a quote inside of a quote in a way you want to preface this with anything scott um i think judy dench does a really good job of reading this poem <laughs> from a long long time ago okay <laughs> just one more thing to say my late husband was a great lover of poetry and um I suppose some of it sunk in, despite my best intentions. And here today, I remember this, I think, from Tennyson. We are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven. That which we are, we are. 
one equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. First of all, the way it's actually cast in the mo the moment in the movie, you've got Bond like running full tilt down the road, knowing that he's been outpaced essentially, and Silva's going to get there before him. But Bond's doing everything he can. So there's this the line: uh, "One equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate, but strong in will." That it, is there any better way to capture this Bond in this moment? He is weak by time. He's old now, and he's broke he's been beaten up he got shot he's still injured he's still hurting he's he's not as quick as he used to be mm -hmm. they've to some extent have done this to themselves they let silva out by getting into his computer and things but strong it like he is driving down he's running down the road you know trying to save her save M. so strong in will in that sense um and then they say to, to strive to seek to find and not to yield like that, that would be the kind of thing you'd put on the back of a t-shirt or like you'd, you'd make the family motto, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it's, it's a hunger to pursue and chase whatever your goal is and be unwilling to back off despite the fact that we're made weaker. Um, my wife makes fun of me because I think of this quote all the time and I will like quote it about things going on in my life. And, but the opening <laughs> is, we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven. And she's like, you're not 30 yet. <laughs> it's completely inappropriate to imply that you, but it feels like lost the, your it strength. Is, it's the kind of thing where, like I'll use it as, for an example of like, when I'm just like, it's been a really rough week. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not now that strength which on Monday moved earth and heaven. <laughs> But it's because the poem, I mean, I just think the poem is so, the poem itself is so iconic. And, and to hear J, uh, I was going to say J.D. Dench, uh, <laughs> Dame Judy Dench deliver it the way she did is iconic and powerful. I think she gives it, and like casting it in the light of James Bond gives it a lot of meaning to me, which it didn't have if I had just read it in English class. Um, so I hope that there are English classes somewhere in the country that are using this moment in Skyfall as a way to teach this poem. But I think it's really powerful. Um, I also think it's interesting because the way that Judy Dench says it, she opens it with, my late husband was a great lover of poetry and I suppose some of it sunk in despite my best intentions is a comment about her mm -hmm. as a character, that she is not frivolous. And like, I like the idea that the character we've met in M had a husband who was a little bit artsy and sort of would want her to get used to certain things. Like, just the, this idea of that character doesn't seem like someone who did anything but work. And that's mm -hmm. true across the franchise. But it's like, no, she was, her husband loved poetry and would try to get her to love poetry, but she is as, as unwilling to love poetry as she is unwilling to deal with Bond's nonsense and all that. Like, that is her personality. And that, anyways, I thought that was interesting too, that sort of insight. Yeah. And I think the way that she, I mean, the end of the quote, the, and not to yield, I think is also makes sense when we hear it in the story because this is the point where up until this point silva has been one step ahead at every turn and he has is about to do you know potentially his ultimate goal which is to kill m and james bond is you know on the back foot and then after this scene that's where they kind of turn things on him and it stops being his plot that he's had set out for a long time and begins to be their plot and they turn it around and eventually end up defeating him too so i feel like that comes across really powerfully that's like you've been down 
this whole time, and now is when you show your, uh, you know, your strength and these, uh, you know, how much you can strive to overcome and not to yield. And you'll remember too that um, she's aware of the fact that Silva's coming after her and has already escaped because they messaged her. And um, the guy next to her, whatever, her Tanner. assistant Tanner says, uh, "We should get you out of here." And she essentially says, "I'll be damned if I turn my back." in this moment, right? So she's reading this poem knowing that maybe or maybe not things are going to be okay. She is, there's like a proper threat on her life running, coming to her and she doesn't know where it is or what's happening, but she knows it's getting worse and he's coming, you know, Silva's coming to get her. So when she reads that, you know, you say that, Mm -hmm. when she reads that to strive to seek to find and not to yield, she is reading this poem knowing she might die. Bond is running down the road knowing that he might fail. Both of them, right? In the same when we talked about them being two, maybe the two main characters, obviously with the most screen time. Both of them, in that moment, refusing to back down, in the in the face of being told that they're outdated, they're they're old, they're washed up, they're broken, they're they're not worthwhile anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think the yeah. I mean the poem choice was awesome. It's almost like they read the poem and then wrote the movie, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe is true. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I I thought this moment really solidified. Uh, M and Bond as similar because to me, this I read this as she knew he was coming and was going to use that as a point in her favor, like the proof that when Silva shows up, that proves that actually we do need spies here to protect us from maniacs like this guy. Um, you know, without admitting that she's the one who created him, <laughs> right, uh, right? Like saying like, oh, like I'm just going to use myself as bait or as an example uh, of the danger that we are facing. Uh, right here, and I'm not going to take the steps to make that precaution because it makes a more bold statement. So her like uh, putting her life on the line, that's in the same way that Bond does, kind of tied those two together. I think ultimately this movie is an endorsement of like uh, the old spy thriller and of Bond as a character. Um, this like with some caveats, and I think that this kind of uh, this this quote and everything is that kind of turning point for that saying no the old ways are great and we need to we need to preserve them and maybe this is an answer to our my question earlier about what the essence of bond is maybe it's that not to yield to constantly strive and constantly fight um and never give up um maybe that's what the essence of bond is that'll be bond and then family is dominant that's yes, right so then, everyone's got <laughs> to their never slogan. give up on family is <laughs> that's, 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 serious. And that's the only difference i think is what we've captured today <laughs> okay well with that i think we're ready to conclude our conversation about skyfall as we do at the end of every episode of affable chat we will deliver our ratings we'll have our, our guest go first scott what rating do you want to give to skyfall i'm going to give uh, Skyfall, one vintage 1964 Aston Martin with aftermarket ejector seat and headlight machine guns. Excellent. Wow, what a valuable one. <laughs> Two and a half million. Valuable rating. <laughs> what about you, Joey? What rating do you give Skyfall? I put this movie on a high shelf that can only be reached with a boost from a Komodo dragon. <laughs> that was very you know, timely for that dragon just run past. Him. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that he jumps on the back of that. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh finally i give this movie five vesper martinis shaken not stirred nice Uh, but hopefully bond won't drink them all (laughs) in one night (laughs) (laughs) okay well 
That is the end of our episode on Skyfall. I want to thank you, Scott, so much for coming and joining us on Affable Chat once again. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I'm not much of an internet presence. If anyone uh, needs any uh, civil engineering services or maybe <laughs> stream restoration, uh, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> I don't know if that overlaps with the audience. I'm sure well, there's somebody yeah, out there, somebody out there who needs that. Is that, one, that? that one woman who needs those services, just oh, uh, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but yes, thanks again, Scott, for joining us. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes, the critically uh, anticipated uh, third movie in the trilogy of... Uh, the newest era of spider-man the tom holland spider-man that's right so we will be talking about that on our next movie episode but for now you can subscribe to us on spotify itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and if you like this podcast then tell your friends about it all you have to say is have you considered listening to affable chat you can reach us on twitter instagram and tiktok at affable chat or send us an email affable chat at gmail.com we also have a youtube channel it's called affable chat affable chat is live on tuesday nights at 7 p.m eastern time that's twitch.tv slash affable chat that's gonna do it for this episode for affable chat i'm benjamin and i'm joey thanks for listening